0: Welcome to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have real, honest, smart, and sometimes even hilarious conversations about co-parenting, separation, and divorce, and all that goes along with that. I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, Certified Life and Relationship Coach, and happily divorced mom who helps women decide if they should stay in or leave their marriages, and then guides them through the process one step at a time. Hey everyone, welcome back. Since it's almost Father's Day, I wanted to say a few things to the men who listen to my podcast. First of all, happy Father's Day. Secondly, I want to say welcome. Truly, thank you for listening. Thank you for doing the work to dig deeper into your relationships and your marriages, and most importantly, yourselves. Thank you for your emails and your private messages on Instagram and Facebook. I hear you. I see you, and you belong here too. The truth is that I tend to speak more to women because, well, I am a woman, and also because overwhelmingly women tend to consume personal development more than men do. So from a marketing perspective, it just makes sense to be perfectly blunt about it. But that doesn't mean that you don't belong here. And it doesn't mean that I won't work with you, by the way. Um, In fact, if you're a man who is hell-bent on trying to save his marriage or get through the divorce process as smoothly as possible, if any of my messaging resonates with you and you want to work with me, I say hell yeah. Seriously, if there's one thing I could wish on the world, it would be for more men to show up in this space and to be welcomed here. Uh, In the coming weeks, I will be putting together a page on my website for men, so stay tuned for that and in the meantime if you want to talk to me about coaching get in touch with me via my website's contact page um, you can find a link to that in the footer of my site kateanthony.com, and we will set up a time to chat uh, another great resource for this by the way for men uh, is my friend and colleague quentin hafner who is a licensed marriage and family therapist and he will actually be joining me right here on the podcast in two weeks or so so look out for that as well in the meantime you can find him over at quentinhafner.com okay so let's get down to business Today, I have the pleasure of bringing you an interview with Jessa Zimmerman. Jessa is a licensed sex therapist and a couples counselor. She specializes in helping couples who have a good relationship but who are avoiding sex because it's become stressful, negative, disappointing, or pressured. Uh, We had a great chat about whether or not an unfulfilling sex life is reason enough to end a marriage, uh, how to jumpstart it without it being too weird. Uh, We also talked about mismatched libidos, the sexual avoidance cycle, porn, and so much more. So needless to say, it is a juicy one. So here she is. So Jessa, thank you so much for being here and talking to my
1: people. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm excited. I am too. This is such a, this is, I was going to say, this is a hot topic. I mean, it really is. (laughs) Or or maybe not. (laughs) Or maybe
0: not. And that's the problem. So um, let's just dive in with probably the most pressing question, which is, if you're not having sex with your spouse, does that mean you should get a divorce?
1: No. (laughs) There is so much you can do about improving your sex life. Um, that that would not be the go-to answer, right? That would be sort of the yeah. last ditch uh, decision if you really couldn't fix it.
0: Yes. And how, so how do you, like, how do you fix it? I mean, I, I mean, I'll just be perfectly honest. I'll be transparent about this. You know, in my, my marriage, which ended, you know, almost 10 years ago now, um, you know, we haven't had sex in so long. Um, we had procreation sex Right, um, right, and then you know, really, it had been years—like th- probably three or four years—and um, at a certain point, it just became this thing that you we couldn't like. It it became awkward when we tried, or it was dissatisfying, or it was bad, or it was just weird. Yeah, I mean, at a certain point, like when you become roommates, and and sex is kind of weird. Um so how do you move past that?
1: Well, I mean, basically you're describing what I call the sexual avoidance cycle,
0: Mm -hmm. which
1: I coined and started to describe in my own mind because I see this in my sex therapy practice a lot. I'm sure. This This isn't that uncommon, unfortunately. So when you get to a situation where sex becomes loaded or stressful or negative or disappointing, you know, like it isn't a good thing it isn't self reinforcing you know mm-hmm. human nature is, is our tendency is to start to avoid this thing that doesn't make us feel good right if it's if it's going badly often enough or if your relationship is going badly enough that you don't want to have sex right and yeah. the whole thing becomes loaded then yeah. you start to avoid it the mm-hmm. problem is when we avoid something it doesn't go away right i mean when yes. we avoid something out of anxiety our anxiety actually gets worse about it yeah. Right? So it starts to create this pressure. And it's so obviously, this is what you know people call the elephant in the room all the time, right? We both know we're not having sex or it's negative or we're avoiding it, but we're not talking about it. Right. So there's all this pressure that starts to build up. And then if you do have sex, right, then there's so much pressure on that encounter to go well
0: because
1: mm-hmm. you don't have enough... A yeah. frequency to sort of weather a bad experience. So it just sort of, see you know, it reinforces this idea like, oh no. Right, then, right. Okay. If it's like the one time a year that you're doing it. Yeah, it's yeah. Not good, then, right? <laughs> all wow. this pressure on it, and it's like you're under a spotlight. And of course, that makes it, generally makes it go badly. You know, and even if it goes okay, it's just sort of like, oh, thank goodness that went all right. But it doesn't make you all ready to go, you know, prancing into your sex life again, right? What? So it becomes right. this whole cycle. And you're right, people can go years Years, you know, years sometimes. And right, then it becomes so awkward. Like, how do we even break this? Yeah. And, it, and it's not like I have a simple answer for this exactly. Right. Uh, because it's, you know, if it takes you years to get into it, it's not like you get over it in a week. Right. Um, but right. there's a couple main components. So part of it is adjusting our expectations. Because this whole thing starts because the sex was sort of disappointing or mm-hmm. negative. Mm-hmm. And so much of that is about our expectations. And then another part is to stop avoiding, right? To to walk in, to have a conversation with your partner and acknowledge the elephant in the room and talk about it and say, can we work together to change this? And it might have to go kind of slowly if it's been years, Uh, but those, those are the main tenets of how you improve something like that
0: right it's to first at least acknowledge it right Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. and that's so much of what i um what i work with uh with women on is this idea of <laughs> this radical idea of direct communication yeah exactly and, <laughs> you, you know you wouldn't think it was so radical but i you know my experience is that it really is and and i get it right because because communicating directly requires a level of vulnerability um, and putting yourself on the line to say like, actually this matters to me. Yeah. Um, and it's really, um, uh, sorry, my, my dog has decided to scratch yourself. So we have some, <laughs> some uh, you've got company jingle jangles going on here. Oh, well, you know what? Such is the life, right? Yeah. Um, so, um, there's this, you know, c- direct communicate c- coming to the table and being the one really, yeah. cause that's what this is about. This is about yes. being the one right. to say, Hey, we have a problem. Can we talk about it? I have feelings about this problem because immediately you're putting yourself on the line for being rejected. Yes. Right. And, it's, and it requires a level of vulnerability and it's scary.
1: It's really scary. And I, I get that because again, when we avoid something over time, our anxiety about it gets worse. Mm-hmm. So the anxiety we felt last year, <laughs> right? It's magnified this year. Like uh-huh. it really feels like this huge thing. Yeah and yet it's a little bit of a smoke like I picture this sort of wall of smoke in front of you it's not it's not as hard to get through as you think because as soon as you say this matters to me I want our relationship to be better I want to work on this with you Whew! this relief that you finally acknowledge the elephant in the room
0: yeah i remember you know i i kept bringing things to the table um and it and it was it was, it was you know the problem, you know, the problem in my case was that I did keep getting rejected. Like, I would buy the books on, you know, let's try tantra, let's try yeah. twenty-one days of sex, let's try, right? And uh, I was the only one bringing stuff to the table, and and I was not being met. Yeah. Um, what do you think about things like that? Like twenty-one days of sex. There's that that thing. It's like you know, it takes twenty-one days to <laughs> to, to to create a habit. So have sex for 21 days in a row, no matter what, no matter if you feel like it or not. Do you feel like that's a healthy kickstart to something like this?
1: No, I think that's a deep end of the pool, actually. Yeah. I think I, I encourage my clients. Um, well, let's see. I think the first step is to understand what are the expectations? What are the What's the experience of sort of failure mm. <laughs> or disappointment for each person? Okay. Uh, because somebody who feels inadequate or rejected or whatever's going on, th- that experience of sex reinforces that, Absolutely. right? And we don't want to do that. Right. <laughs> we want to understand where both people are coming from. But then when, if, if you get to the place where both people are willing to work on it, then I think you've got to take all the expectations off. So this idea that we have to have, you know, if it's a heterosexual com- uh, couple, that we have to have intercourse, it's like, that's too much pressure. Mm. That's an expectation. So I talk to clients about treating sex like it's going to the playground, and I don't mean that like in a childish way. Mm-hmm. I mean that in a way of, it's the outing that counts. It doesn't matter what we do when we get there. Mm. So to me, that's a critical part of taking the expectations off so that these encounters can feel successful. Like, so <laughs> they literally cannot fail.
0: <laughs> so what so, would that look like? What was, what would going to the playground, um, whether you're going to you know, actually get on the swing set or take the slide or go down the
1: slide, right? Yeah. Exactly. Right?
0: Like, what does that look like in a sexual context?
1: Well, the way I, the way I work with it in therapy is to give people an exercise. So it's sort of structured. Okay. So they've got a framework that's so different from what they normally do, and they have a little bit of guidance <laughs> about how, what would this look like right now when we're just starting off being physical again together. Mm. Okay. So I have, them, I have them take turns where one person is a giver, one is a receiver. They take 10-minute turns. They use a timer. I mean, the whole thing's pretty structured, but again, yeah. it gives them a little bit of a container for this. Yes. And the receiver's in charge.
0: Yes. This is a, this is a sensate exercise, right?
1: It is. Although I've taken it, yeah, it, it it's not a traditional one because nothing okay. specifically is off the table. I've, I, the ah. way they do it is the receiver's in charge. The receiver is to think about exactly what touch would feel best to them in that moment, mm. right? Not, not go do the dishes, but like, could you brush my hair or whatever it might be? Yeah. Um, the, the giver says no, if they need to, right? Mm-hmm. Like it's crucial that that person take care of themselves. Yep. For 10 minutes, the receiver gets to think about exactly what kind of touch they want. They put it into words. They're, just, they're owning it you know,
0: mm-hmm. for 10 minutes and
1: trying to have absolutely no expectations or goal. Okay. 10 minutes is over. They reverse uh, you know, roles, and then the whole thing is done. I see. So okay. the playground becomes, can I think about just what I want and put that into words and let myself have it? Mm-hmm. And when I'm the giver, can I just be a partner in this for my, you know, for my lover?
0: Right. Um,
1: But nothing says it has to be sexual. Nothing says it should be arousing, certainly not orgasmic. Like part of it is to take all the pressure off.
0: Right. Right. Um, And then, so what do you, because you work primarily with couples in this arena. And so what do you, how do you, what would you recommend for people who it sort of feels like one partner is a little bit more invested in trying to, is in, in trying to not whistle past the graveyard, yeah, um, and continue on this with this, where the other one's a little bit resistant. Like, how do you bridge that gap?
1: Right, right. So back to your sort of original question: What if somebody's doing all this work and all this work, and the other person just never meets them? Right. Yeah, right. Well, I mean, that's the extreme situation. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're sort of looking at a dynamic that, with anything, whether it's sex or working on your relationship or whatever it is, there's somebody that wants it more than the other person.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So that's normal. Right, so it's going to take persistence. So if, if the listener is going to be the one to finally bring this up, and maybe they're the higher desire partner to get this resolved, uh, they need to continue to advocate for this and have some persistence. You know, don't just take the first no and disappear, like never mind. You know, I won't bring it up anymore. They're going to have oh. to continue to show up and sort of demonstrate that they're not going to uh, brush it under the rug. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's it's important to try to get a sense of why the person that wants this less, why that makes sense, right? So again, what what's sort of inadequacy are they feeling or what sort of fear or rejection? What do they know about the relationship that isn't being addressed? Like yeah. I usually, I, I start yeah. with the with the assumption that the person with lower desire for whatever it is has some very good reasons for that. Hmm. You know, right? Like, let's not just make them wrong. Right. <laughs> they're not willing not. to try or, you know, or they just don't have a libido. It's like, no, usually there's something real that they're responding to that has to come out.
0: Right. Yes. There's, there's exactly. Yes. And it's important to be able to communicate that and, and express that in a safe way. Right. Because, yeah. Like, yeah. That
1: just has to be part of the conversation. Yeah. Right? But why does it make sense that they are hesitant to engage in this process? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, they need the encouragement to step up and engage in the process. Like, they have to do their part ultimately. And, you know, and I would say if, if over, I don't know how much time, but over a concerted effort of trying to clean up your own side of the street mm-hmm. and show up with persistence and keep bringing it up, and if, if you really don't get met, you know, sometimes the decision to end the relationship is completely, I mean, that is when you would make that decision, right? right. Like, I've got enough evidence over enough time uh, that I don't have somebody willing to work with me on this. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the kind of thing that can end a relationship.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's that, it's that, it, and that is the imbalance that I see so often that, you know, I, you can't, if you're the only person who's willing to work on the relationship, if you're only always the one suggesting therapy and never getting met, what are you, right. what are you supposed to do? Right,
1: right. Um, but I would say it takes, you know, confront yourself first, <laughs> you know, yes. be thoroughly exhausted <laughs> examining mm-hmm. your own contributions to the problem. Yes. and if you really had curiosity about your partner's experience, like yes. that's that is stuff you can also do to make sure.
0: Absolutely, that. and that's you know, I and that's when I work with you know because I only I don't work with couples, I work with with women. Yeah. Um, but one of the key things that we do is a very exhaustive relationship inventory process because, um, I love that you said uh, that keeping your side of the street clean because that's that's my. My mantra. I repeat it yeah. all the time. Yeah. Um. And it is so vital that we take personal responsibility. It's so vital that we look at what we're bringing to the table. It's it's vital that we look at our own trauma, our own you know past experience, our own wounding, all of it. Yes. Um. Why we chose this person, um, and all of the the entire sort of gamut. Um, far more. You know, put down the magnifying glass and pick up the mirror because. Yes. Um, you cannot, you can't heal a relationship. You can't work on a relationship um, without that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and like you said, I work mostly with couples and I definitely get people that, you know, end up divorcing or breaking up, but they'll stay in therapy sometimes because they each are interested in learning, you know, looking in the mirror. How did I get in this relationship? What's been my contribution? You know, I mean, and and at the end, yeah. they may they may decide to split up, but at least they've done, you know, at least some of their own work in this process. Yep. Yes. You know, where they can split up and think, okay, we really gave it a good shot. We really looked and what's best for us is not to stay together.
0: Yeah. And what, and I, you know, my message to my clients and on my podcast and my book and everywhere that you could possibly ever find me is that, you know, in my experience, my, my ex and I were in couples therapy for, uh, God, at least five years. I think we. Wow. Started, I mean, maybe a decade. Maybe the entire decade we were together. We started pretty early and then took a break. And um, we were in um, group couples therapy. We were in imago therapy. So we were in group couples therapy. We were in an individual couples therapy, and we were both in individual therapy. Oh and my gosh! We were both in twelve step programs. <laughs> so there was a shitload of work. Yeah. Um. By both of us. Yeah. Uh, Not just to save our marriage, but to heal our own selves. Right. Um, right. And when that didn't work to save our marriage, what it did was um, save our divorce process.
1: Yes. Yes. Because
0: we were able to then to take all of those tools with this like overflowing toolbox and go, okay, great. We have a kid.
1: Yeah. Right. And yeah.
0: that was, and, 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 you know, in my, my, my work in my world, I, I truly don't care how you do your divorce if you don't have children. Right. Um, right. But uh, if you have children, it's, I'm, you know, I, in my world, you don't really have a choice, but to do all of this work to uncover these things so that you can um, not damage your kids in the process. And the right. only way you can, to stay out of that blame cycle um, in divorce is to have done this work, uh, through the ending of the marriage. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So totally agree with you to be a fierce, a fierce advocate for the children in this process, you know?
0: Yes, exactly. Exactly. So um, just some circling back. So is that what you you talk about the desire discrepancy? Is that really what the desire discrepancy is? That there's there is it's perfectly natural. I love that you said that it's perfectly normal <laughs> for a yeah. person to have a higher level of desire or willingness to act uh, on their desire than the other person, um, but that there are reasons for it.
1: There yeah. Are, I mean, it, it, absolutely. This is the norm. I mean, in the very begin, beginning of a relationship, you may not notice it, but over time, there is always somebody that wants more sex than the other person.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, and, it, and it, it's not like it, that can switch, you know, you might reverse roles, you might have been a higher desire partner in one relationship and lower in another. Um, things change with life stresses and health issues. I mean, all kinds of stuff. But it's totally normal to have a desire discrepancy. Yeah. And again, not even just about sex, but about managing money or wanting children or, or socializing. I mean, all kinds of things, right? We're, right. Not, we're two different people. Yes. So that, that is not a problem by itself. It's just that we don't handle it well sometimes. You know, then it becomes a problem.
0: Yes, I mean, and it and it feels personal. So it can feel deeply personal.
1: Yeah, and that's part of not handling it well. If if you take your partner's level of desire personally, if you allow it to define your desirability or whatever, that's a problem. hmm And if you give into the sense of pressure you would feel as a person who wants like less sex, yeah, you know, when you start to blame your partner for that or pathologize them or something. That's not handling yes. it well. Yes. Or if you sit back on your heels and think, well, I don't really have to do anything because I'm happy, that's not handling it well.
0: Mm, right, right. And it's sort of that. And again, it's, I mean, I think the thing that I see so often, I think is so common, is the whistling past the graveyard, right? <laughs> I love that metaphor. I have. Just- <laughs> metaphor. <laughs> I think I stole that from my, my ex-husband, um, mm-hmm. that like, you know, nothing to see here, <laughs> like, right. You know, and you know when you have kids and you work and you have a you know these these twenty first century busy lives, you can that can go on
1: for so long. Yeah, it really can. And there's a certain I mean, it's when you're stuck in this when the desire discrepancy is a problem, Mm -hmm. it is no fun in either role. I mean, I know I know this. Each person feels like they are the one suffering, but it's really no fun. So when you're the person that's more interested in sex, you know, you generally, if you're struggling with it, you are taking this personally, you know, you have this longing potentially to connect with your partner and you don't get that, Yeah. you know, and you feel rejected and you feel confused and alone. And, you know, certainly you, you could have some sexual frustration too, although there's always masturbation, but you know, that's a, that's a very lonely place. Yeah. Yeah. And then the person with less desire you know, is feeling first of all, so much pressure, often feeling broken or inadequate. What's wrong with me that I don't have this desire? You know, mm-hmm. sometimes it's having sex or encounters that they don't feel good about, you know, they're just sort of doing it because they should. Yes. I mean, this is this just gets so negative so yeah you know, quickly sometimes.
0: And you know, I mean, I think that I mean, more often than not, I think, I mean, I'm sure it's not, not entirely true, but I do think that more often than not, women are having sex that they don't want to have. Do you find that to be true? I'm 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 saying that, but you would probably know.
1: Yeah. I mean, so in a certain way, in the couples that I see, mm-hmm. it's roughly half and half in terms of who wants more sex, if it's heterosexual couples, right? Because the same issues happen in same-sex couples. Sure. But in a heterosexual one, you know, half the time it's the woman who wants sex more. But because of our physiology, <laughs> right. women are more able to have sex they don't want to have. You just have yes. a lube or something. Right. right? Yeah. if a, If a man really doesn't want to have sex and doesn't get an erection, at least you're not going to have intercourse right? right so it's a little harder you know i yes. guess it is. yes it's probably more common based on anatomy right uh, for women to have sex they don't want to have
0: okay, and, and you don't do you not find that it's more common just sort of from sort of societal uh, from a cultural expectation yes I
1: think, I think that's also probably true yeah, yeah, because there's expectation or this failure to um, I don't even know how to say it. Honor women's sexuality, or you know, yeah. this idea that right that you know a lot of people have this idea that men need sex more, and we just need to provide it. So yeah, yeah. there are a lot of cultural uh, yeah influences yeah. too.
0: It's just part of being a good wife.
1: Yeah, right? yeah.
0: Um, I'm curious about your thoughts. Up, you know, one of about. Um, I think that you know Dan Savage talks about this a lot. Um, and I, it, this idea that um about infidelity saving a marriage Hmm. about if, if uh, if you're not getting your sexual needs met in the marriage and you have a sexual spark with someone outside the marriage and you kind of go and take care of that urge elsewhere and come back to the marriage satisfied um, sort of, you know, having that side, like everything else in the marriage is great, right? There's just this one hole, um, what, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, there's a big difference between infidelity, yeah, which involves lying, yeah. <laughs> right? well, yeah. his honesty right. and opening up a relationship. To yes. This. And I, and the Fine. thing that, yeah, you know, yeah. we're going to, we're going to let this be taken care of somewhere else, or at least part uh-huh. of the time, you know? Yeah. Right. So to me, those are very, very different things. So I have certainly seen clients who've had infidelity, have had, che- you know, cheating, lying, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, confront what went into that confront why that seemed to be the solution to take, you know, what does that mean that somebody would do that as opposed to raise the issue with their partner,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, and sort of own uh, maybe the, the cruelty and dishonesty of it and then get to what was really wrong with our sex life. And what, what are we going to do about that? Right? Like I can, I have seen it save a marriage because of the process that they go through around it.
0: Yeah. Right.
1: And I've also seen people who, who decide to open uh, a marriage or a relationship and consciously decide, you know, we're going we're gonna to open up some of these other avenues, we're going we're gonna to leverage the spark we get from this or the excitement, and that can really work too. But of course, I've seen plenty of instances where these things go really badly too, because it's, yep. they're not really going to be, I don't recommend that they're a solution to a problem. Right. right? Like they're just part of an approach, I think, when it's right. going to work well.
0: Yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting, you know, I've had, I, I know people who, um, you know, have tried to, to raise it, you know, with their, with their spouse and their spouse doesn't really want to deal with it. And so, but they also are best friends and they have families and everything else is great. Um, and they just kind of go secretly take care of that. And yeah. then, you know, and, you know, and, and it isn't, infi- it is infidelity. It is 100% yes. cheating. Right. Right. And. And in a way it's saving the marriage, but however, it's a, it's a thin tricky line because if their spouse ever found
1: out it would destroy it. Right. Right.
0: right? And you know, but if they've
1: kind of tried, I'm going to introduce a concept that I learned from David Snarsh. Okay. Passionate marriage among other books. Right. Okay. He talks about what he calls the two choice dilemma. Mm. We want two things. And we really only get one Mm -hmm. or we steal our partner's choice. That's how we get two. So this is a perfect example of, I want to have sex with Bob Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I want to stay married. Right. I don't really get both of those choices in the case you're describing unless I steal my partner's choice by not telling them.
0: Mm -hmm. Right.
1: So it's a pretty precarious balance. Um, until it's discovered or something, right? You feel like you're getting both things, but you're doing it by taking your partner's choice mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. to say,
1: I don't want to be with somebody who's having sex with someone else. You know, if you've made a monogamous decision, uh, then you're, you're robbing them of their choice. Yeah. And it, it, we're back to the idea, if you have raised this and you're trying to address it and the partner is not participating, you're still faced with, you know, for some reason you're deciding not to just leave the relationship, Right. right. And so you're solving this by stealing your partner's choice, if mm-hmm. that makes sense.
0: Yes. Yeah. I wonder what the other choice would be. It's
1: so, it, you know, it can be so. <sighs> well, the, I mean, if you're not going to steal your partner's choice. Yeah. Then the two options you have are to end the relationship mm-hmm. or to live without the sex the life you want as yeah, right. much or the type or whatever, right? Like yeah. those are really the choices you have after a certain amount of time working with your partner or trying right. to work with your partner.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I see this a lot and it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. Cause it, cause it, it does feel you do. I think, you know, a lot of people do feel like, a, like that's a hard choice.
1: Yes, it's a very hard choice. It's a very hard choice, and that's why people take this little uh, other route, right? They take right. a partner's choice so they don't have to face the anxiety of making the real choice that they've got. Right. Right. So, yeah. Yes. And it's only in those really big decisions where it matters. Like most of the rest of the time, oh, it's, it's easy to just make one choice, right? But we don't want to make that choice. That's why, that's why we cheat in that kind of situation. Yeah.
0: I wonder what what do you think? How do you think? I mean, I've, I know some of what you feel about this, but what, how do you feel porn plays into this, especially in long term marriages and long term
1: relationships? Okay, well that's a that's a big question. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm trying to figure out exactly which part of this you're trying to get at, but well, yeah, I mean.
0: I get well, I mean, I don't know. I, I suppose I'm opening up the I'm opening up all the questions, right? Let's
1: open up the whole porn. Let's
0: open up the whole porn can
1: Pandora's category. box of porn. Yes, let's
0: <laughs> open up Pandora's box of porn. Um but, I mean, I think it does you know, it can inform what we were talking about before, for sure. Um But it's also its own, it's it is its own entity, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I mean, let's see. What do I have to think to say about porn? So on the one hand, if Uh, let's see porn is a very common ingredient Mm -hmm. in masturbation right so separate from any of the moral or ethical you know i don't want to get into a discussion about the you know whether porn should exist or is it exploitative or you know that's sort of a separate conversation but it does provide a lot of stimulation right it's very Mm -hmm. it, it triggers our mirror neurons if we're watching something it's like happening to us it's super intense like there's so, it, you know, that's why people often use it. Okay. Um, and so I don't think that that's inherently bad. Uh, so when you think about it, it's just one ingredient to masturbation, like fantasies or any other mental uh, ingredient you would use. That, that's sort of how I generally view it. Okay. Um, then there's a the question of when one person consis- considers it cheating. Yes. So... In that case, you know, uh, this is a big discussion, but I, I don't think we own each other's thoughts. Right. Right. So I don't think of it as cheating, but I do think a couple needs to have a conversation about values and about choices. And, it, and again, this could be something where you just can't um, come to an agreement, yeah. but at least having the conversation about how each pre- person views it and thinks about it and how it's being used, that's an important part of couples therapy.
0: Yeah, and it's and it, I mean and it requires a an intense level of empathy I think on on both parts but both parties, um, to be able to hold the other person's point of view without judging it or or shaming it or right, all of the right things,
1: right right or just dismissing it you know
0: right. right exactly and I think that was a huge I think that was a that was you know certainly a problem in in I could I don't know I don't even remember anymore in my marriage but I know that you know, at a certain point, we weren't having sex, but he was perhaps watching porn. And, you know, he, he has, he thinks porn is great. There's no, there's no issue with it. He doesn't have an addiction to it or anything Mm -hmm. like that that I know of. Um, But
1: I was jealous. Yeah, I was part, part of what's happening. That's, that's, it's easy to feel jealous because there's, people pictured in pornography right mm-hmm. but to me the larger issue is if somebody's doing a bunch of masturbation they're doing solo sex
0: yeah
1: at the expense of investing in their sexual sexual relationship with their partner Yes, that's a problem like it's not a problem to masturbate when you're in a sexual relationship right I really think of those as apples and oranges uh-huh if you're using it as avoidance or I don't need to deal with this with my partner because I've got this other outlet so I'm just gonna like escape escape the problem yeah. You know, that's an issue, but that's not about the porn specifically. That's about masturbation. Interesting. Yeah.
0: Interesting. Yeah. For, and, and I know for me, it felt like, and I think that this was also, you know, so just, you know, part of my avoidance um, was, it was due to the fact that I felt insecure about mm-hmm. my own body. Yeah. Um, And I felt insecure about how my husband viewed me. Yeah. Um. And partly because there was a lot of criticism on that end, oh um so so I didn't feel safe, right yeah. and then yeah. he, and then you you know put corn in the midst, which is you know. By definition, usually, you know, only sort of like, or at least that's what he was watching, right?
1: These young sure. bodies or something.
0: Yes, like young, perfect, you know, perfect bodies. And and by the way, if I think back, I want my body to look like that. And I'm I like Jesus Christ. <laughs>
1: no, thank you. <laughs> no, it was spectacular.
0: Like oh, okay, I you for do that, that now, my God. <laughs> um, but you know, so the but the totally di- total digression there. But I'm like God. Um, but you know, then he was—he was so he was replacing me with this per, this sort of ideal, yeah, uh, pornographic sense, and it and it compounded my avoidance,
1: right? Yes, like, absolutely. Now I definitely don't want to, <laughs> right? But part of what's that. going on in this dynamic mm-hmm. you're describing, in this little two-minute synopsis or whatever mm-hmm. it was, is what can't be overlooked is the cruelty of your husband to criticize you. Well yes that's so that's you know, and again that's that's what's sort of underlying this whole experience with porn is it's built on the fact that he will openly make you feel bad about yourself and know that he's doing it
0: mm-hmm. You're
1: perfectly willing to watch you suffer like that
0: yeah
1: um so that's a that's an ingredient in that discomfort, right
0: absolutely, absolutely, and you know, and I have to say while i while I'm sharing this as my own experience, I hear this a lot
1: yeah, yeah.
0: I hear this a lot from women, and i and one of the you know and it and it's sort of it 's a chicken egg thing right are are men more critical of women 's real bodies because they're they spend a lot of time seeing you know uh airbrushed
1: right like, right sort of the,
0: the, the the top one percent
1: <laughs> you know yeah, and um, I certainly did a whole you know a whole presentation on how porn. Um, sets us up with unrealistic expectations. Yes. You know, and not just about what we look like, but what do people want to do? How fast does it happen? What's the level of enthusiasm? I mean, porn is not sex, right? Porn is entertainment. Yes. I mean, among other things. Mm-hmm. So it's totally artificial. Yeah. I mean, there, there, I guess there is some sort of homemade, you know, just regular old stuff up there. But mostly it's produced, you know, it's it's scripted or created in a way to accentuate certain aspects you know it's not real Mm -hmm. so if we're getting our expectations about sex from that that's a real problem so there is you know there also is this aspect that porn can set us up for unrealistic ideas about what we should be getting or how it should be going Mm -hmm. and that's not always i mean it's bad for men too you know are they supposed to last forever what size are they supposed to be i mean it's just all these expectations are detrimental to everybody
0: and it's you know and it and it and it destroys from what i mean it the the expectation that it sets up, not porn itself, but the expectation that it sets up destroys a, t- its it would seem to me a level of intimacy that comes from the slow sensual
1: process, like well, there i'm going to take issue with you a little okay. bit
0: okay, no, because please
1: I think. How do I even put this? <laughs> Intimacy is not just about slow sensual, what my sometimes clients call it notebook sex from the notebook movie. <laughs> like that's <laughs> so important. I think it can be very intimate to have a quickie or a hot encounter or something that's super, I mean, I can't remember if we can swear on your Yes, we can. Go for it. Like fucking, and that can be hugely intimate if you're really revealing yourself. Yes. Um, So it's not just the gentle stuff. And and the other thing that I believe about porn or erotica in general, erotic material, Mm -hmm. is it is a window of insight into what is erotic to us. What's our unique eroticism? What turns us on? Uh The reason we react to the stuff that we watch or the stuff we read or the stuff we think is because it hits that button for us. And so using these scenes, whether they're written, a romance, romance novel, a scene out of a movie, or a scene out of pornography, using that to share that with each other and understand what's erotic to each other is incredibly intimate. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean you have to go act out the porn scene, but it's like, how do I really let you in on what's hot to me? Yes. You know, that's incredibly Absolutely. intimate. And it does not have to be gentle, slow lovemaking, but it's, it does need to be real and claimed and shared you know, to be intimate. So,
0: yeah, I guess, I guess, no, I totally agree with you. And I, I and it's interesting, I guess I had, what I had conflated um, was this, I, I guess it's that, that this idea that of porn being this sort of solo thing, which is fine, like you said, in, in, the masturbatory situation, but um, if it's used as, you know, a tool for that, but when it's, I'm going to go close the door and watch porn and leave you alone.
1: Yeah. Right?
0: It can be, a, I mean, I think that porn can, can be a great, intimacy building uh, process if you're sharing it, right? If you yeah, know, yeah. Kind of-
1: Especially if you're using it not to coerce or shame the other person, like, why won't you do that? You know, right. but more like, hey, let me let you in on my deepest core self, my eroticism and and talk, you know, expose that, not knowing if you're going to accept it or not, or, you know, it's incredibly intimate. Yeah, that so, sounds great. Yeah. And so just, you know, like almost anything, we can yeah. do the exact same behavior. Sort of from the best in us to the worst in us. You know, we can share pornography from the worst in us to make somebody else feel bad or for the best in us to try to really let you into my soul. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I mean, it sounds
0: to me, you know, single girl over here now. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds great. I want yeah.
1: that. <laughs>
0: um, how do you, I mean, we've touched on this a little bit. Um, how do you work on reigniting sex in a long-term marriage where, especially like after kids and your body's been through so much, you have gotten into cycles and habits and there's like a real disconnect. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, Yeah, there is. I mean, you know, Esther Perel wrote that great book, Mating in Captivity, mm. you know, which, which does a very good job of describing the problem of, yes. you know, a secure attached relationship is sort of the opposite of what's erotic, right? Which is unknown and danger. And, you know, it's right. not what we yeah. have with a long-term partner. We so, become roommates or siblings almost, right? There yeah, becomes,
0: It becomes like a, a sibling relationship and then sex, to be sexy with that person is weird.
1: Yeah. It's always a struggle when people say sibling, because it's like, you don't want to be incestuous, but certainly with roommates okay. is something I hear all the time, right? Uh-huh. So first we're not, we're not going to go back to the first 18 months, the honeymoon period. If we if that was wonderful, you know, we never go back in time to that. We're in a different part of our brain with our partner. Mm. But there can be ways to cultivate newness or surprise with each other. You know, whether whether you're just going out and doing something new and getting some dopamine and, and adrenaline going, you know, like there's some research to support that. Mm-hmm. Um, a deeper level of intimacy and I, I, this is where I love to talk to couples about exploring eroticism. A lot of people have never shared this stuff with each other. Yeah, right? They've had a kind of sex that's sort of lowest common denominator or just enough to work. And they really have never mined their own eroticism for the power that that has. Mm. So you can be married 20 years and start to actually share what really turns you on, you know, about that TV show or that uh, part of a novel or, or pornography, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, Talk about increasing your sense of risk, which <laughs> immediately changes your, your chemistry, right? Right. So there are totally. ways to sort of fuel the fire, mm-hmm. um, but it probably is going to come in waves. You know, we coast for a while and then we have to reinvigorate, right? We coast for a while. It's it's not like it's going to be a straight line up in our time together.
0: Yeah. And I think that that's, you know, you it's so often in that plateau, right, that people, uh, move away or there's, you know, I I have friends who have been married for, you know, 25 years or something and, you know, and they talk about that plateau period and then that something happens and it just shifts. And it's, and I think getting through that plateau and obviously communicating through all of it, right? Right.
1: Yeah, and this is uh, this is another concept from David Snarsh, actually. So <laughs> I'll have to thank him for this later. Go but he for talks it. about yeah, how there are how there are comfort cycles and growth cycles. And we really can't live full time in either one. So we're in a comfort cycle for a while when it's working, but eventually that becomes uncomfortable. We get bored or we get complacent or we're not being fully ourselves, you know, we're, we're hiding parts of ourselves, something like that. Mm-hmm. Or there's an event like infidelity or, or a scare of illness, you know, something throws us into the need to actually change and grow and develop. Mm-hmm. And that's a scary, that's a high anxiety place generally.
0: Yes. Yeah. Not easy yes. to bring this stuff right. up and
1: lock the boat, right? Not easy yeah. to deal with infidelity, not easy to feel like we might lose our partner to cancer. I mean, all, you know, but if we, take that on and we grow and change and we're willing to evolve and we're willing to communicate and all that then we then we reach another comfort cycle at, at the end of that right yeah. but it's higher <laughs> it's like we keep evolving
0: yes yes and it's i mean uh, I, and I have i haven't done this where right? i haven't been in a long term i mean my my marriage was 10 years and it was not <laughs> yeah right <laughs> there was a lot of intimacy there um so you know, it, it always always sort of fascinates fascinates me almost from a sociological like anthropological perspective. Like, wow, the human species can do this thing. <laughs>
1: you know, well, we can if we're committed. But it is, you know, those those crossroads are also where people divorce, right? Yeah. Like, this is too hard, or I, I got bored. I mean, they don't they don't necessarily see that there's work they can do that then transforms them and takes it to a different kind of level. And it's not like everybody can get there or that every relationship should, but right. there is that opportunity. Instead of just saying, "Oh, I must be with the wrong person or we've run our course." It's like, "Wait, maybe there's a place to leverage here yeah. and really change."
0: And it really does. I mean, it, you really do have to have two people willing to meet on the co- on the court. Yes. And actually play the game. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, one of my first questions when I, when I speak with women who are, you know, think that they want a divorce is, you know, ha- have you been in couples therapy? What is your communication like? Have you, t- have you
1: actually said this to him? Right, right. Um, I, I ask people that probably more than anything else. So did absolutely. you actually say that? Did you actually ask, you know, Yes. speak exactly. up about what you want? Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, we do it from, from everything from, Um, you know, feelings of, you know, major dissatisfaction to like, he doesn't help with the dishes, you know, and I, you know, I don't believe that we are ever entitled to something that we can't directly name and ask for. Right. Um, If we've been asking for it for 10 years, and, and we're being ignored or rejected, then that, that's a problem. Yes. Um, But if you know for standing in the corner tapping our feet saying he should just know right um, that's that's your problem <laughs> yes exactly. <laughs> exactly to be to be perfectly blunt
1: yeah and I, you know i think there's some truth to the fact that the other person can see you in the corner and probably has an idea about what you want uh, at least some of the time but yeah. that doesn't absolve you of the responsibility to speak up and to to name your response to not getting it and to really take it on sort of heads on and overtly yeah. you know instead of doing this sort of subtle little unspoken dance around this stuff, you know, where both people know what's happening, like back to the sexual avoidance cycle, both people know exactly what's happening. Right. nobody's talking about it, you
0: know? Exactly. Exactly. And I, and again, you know, back to what I was saying about that before is that it does take a level of vulnerability to be the one to step forward out of the corner and say, please help me. Yeah. Or please do this. Or I'm feeling so, uh, you know, frustrated or rejected or whatever, whatever it is, um, can you please
1: do this thing? <laughs> you yeah. Know. Cause you, you may not get it right. Yeah. You can speak up and make this case and be heartfelt and, and, um, And have to tolerate the fact that your partner doesn't care or not enough to do something about it, or is going to you, or you know any of the myriad of ways that that could go wrong.
0: You know, and one of the things I loved about Imago therapy, um, and I have I have some issues with it, but one of the things that I really appreciated about it is the is that you actually is that telling your partner why, what it means to you, right? Um, When you say like you know, could you please do this? You make a, a behavior change request. And you and you ask for what it is that you need, you then say it would really make me feel loved, or mm-hmm. it would help heal my childhood wound around this thing, right? And it there's something about that process of naming why you need it, not just because I'm overwhelmed or whatever, or you know, that the vulnerability of saying it would it would really make me feel loved. Yeah. That and it it and almost that- it's almost like the bottom drops out, right, for a sec. It's like, oh, my God, that's so gorgeous. Like, of course
1: I'll do that, <laughs> right? Well, sometimes. I mean, yes, it's yes, beautiful when it does. Yes. Unfortunately, some of the time yeah. that doesn't matter to our partner no. or uh-huh. we're in an issue where their need is in competition with that, right? Exactly. So, yes, they exactly. like to feel love, but they also Absolutely. don't. Or they're, you know, really high-stakes stuff like yep. sex. Um,
0: Oh, absolutely! Can you make that
1: really difficult. It does make
0: it difficult because, of course, you know, nine times out of ten, we're, we're with this person because my most vulnerable me, need aligns with their right. Exactly. Triggers. Right, right. And then,
1: you know, we're off to the races, right? So, hundred percent. And um, that's why the, you know I think the big four, right, money, sex, parenting, and in laws. Those are pretty hard. Those are really hard topics, and where we do bring in our wounds, and you know, where it's really high stakes yeah. topics. So,
0: oops. Yes, my dog agrees. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. They're usually far more compliant. Um, I'm I'm so this is such a great conversation and we could probably have it all day. Is there is there anything else that you um work with in your work that you feel is important for couples at this especially, you know, for my audience of people who are either getting divorced or thinking about getting divorced or not sure whether um sex is an ingredient that you know what what
1: would you want people to know oh gosh what would i um i guess two things come to mind one is that there is no amount of sex that is the right amount Mm -hmm. Uh, so there is no normal there's no should it's all about what works for both people involved um so certainly there are couples that are both happily not having sex not a problem Mm -hmm. (laughs) right um and there's, there shouldn't be a quota. The other thing I want people to, to know is that sex drive is not always spontaneous, right? We don't, we don't all experience what we think of as libido, like actively sort of want sex. It's possible for your sex drive to come out partway through. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, so you get kissing, touching, yes. you know, you get into it, you relax, like yeah. you start to respond. It's like, oh, now I want sex. Right. And a lot of us don't understand that that's perfectly normal. Mm. So, but it, re- it requires a willingness to start, right? It requires opportunity. So trying to create those opportunities together without an expectation that it will definitely turn into sex. Yeah. Right? I, think, I think that's what I, I know.
0: I know. I think that's a lot of women fear, right? Well, if I... Yeah
1: start right right and so then, people start saying no way upstream because unless i can commit i I've gotta say no but this right. whole idea of maybe is just crucial for people yeah. right and
0: to have and to have the no have somewhere to land right yeah have, yeah no be a be safe right yeah right that's great i love it Thank you so much, Justin. Oh, you're welcome. You're so welcome. Appreciate it. And all, we will put all of the things that we discussed in the show notes, the David Snarsh and uh, mating in captivity and all of your links. Um, <laughs> Tell us yeah. about your um, Just the Tip Tuesday, and you have a Facebook group, right? For-
1: yeah, so I do. I, I have a Facebook group that's free called Sex, Intimacy, and Relationships, and I can get you the link to, yep. to put in there if people want to join. Yep. So I broadcast there every Tuesday live for Just the Tip Tuesday with a little bit of the content um, around all this stuff, especially that's coming out in my book in September, yeah. um, and then try to foster a conversation and community in there for you know, people that care about their sex lives. Great. Um, So that's the biggest place people might be interested in, and jumping on board. I also have a mailing list through my website, um, where I send stuff out about once a week, hopefully Great. great useful content for people.
0: Great. And we'll link to all of that in the show notes. Wonderful. I think this stuff is just so incredibly important. So yes, thank you so much for being willing to come on and talk about it.
1: You're welcome. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for listening to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. You can find me over at kateanthony.com and be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes so you don't miss an episode. See you next time.